Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there again and welcome back to the Explaining History podcast. Um, Tonight I'm going to be looking at um, an issue that I think really shapes the early phases of uh, post-war German history. Um, And uh, there are some interesting um, post-war and kind of early Cold War dynamics thrown into it. And that's the issue of displaced persons in Germany and uh, across the rest of Europe. Harold Jana um, has written a, a fascinating chapter in his book Aftermath, uh, which I've mentioned before on the podcast. It's really, really worth getting. Um, it takes that, that 10-year period, 1945 to um, 55. Um, and here he, he talks about the the vast number of displaced um, Europeans in Germany who've been brought there as uh, essentially slave labourers, the Gastarbeiter, um, the the remaining surviving Jews who um, emerged from the Nazi uh, death camps, um, and of course the huge numbers of uh, Germans who had been um, who had moved to the the new newly conquered territories across Europe 
and who had been expelled and then there were many ethnic Germans who had been who'd lived all over Eastern Europe for generations and uh, at the end of the Second World War these uh, countries on Czechoslovakia, Poland, places like that become um, mono-ethnic uh, nation-states um, Germans and in, in some cases other ethnic minorities were forced to leave but particularly Germans uh, for very good reason okay so Harold Jana writes in the summer of 1945 about 75 million people lived in the four occupied zones of Germany some 40 million far more than half of them were not where they belonged or wanted to be the war had acted as a powerful mobilisation, dispersal and abduction machine. Anyone who had survived had been spat out by it somewhere far from where they had went, um, the, somewhere far from what had once been their home. The enormous number of 40 million displaced persons included the majority of German soldiers who had become prisoners of war, who numbered over 10 million. Most of them were released in, the stage, in stages between the middle of May 1945 and the end of 1946, apart from the 3.5 million prisoners of war who had been interned in the Soviet Union and the 7 uh, 758,000 as the British and Americans advanced on German soil in 1945. Most of them had voluntarily surrendered. Of course, the reason, the motivation for voluntarily surrendering to uh, Western soldiers was so that the um, inevitable capitulation to the Soviet Union could be uh, avoided. Um, the German soldiers were very, very desperate not to surrender to the Soviets because their their future was to be much more brutal in the hands of um, of uh, Soviet captors. They faced a uh, a future in slave labour camps in the Soviet Union, and um, the German prisoners who were captured in the Soviet Union, only a slender number of them, a small percentage of them, were returned back to Germany. In addition. There were 9 million city dwellers who, for fear of air raids, or because they had already been bombed out, had been evacuated to the countryside. Most of them yearned to return to the cities, particularly since the rural population generally hadn't given them an especially warm welcome. Given disruption to traffic networks, however, it was extremely difficult, and in many cases impossible, for them to return. Suitcases were among the most sought-after possessions. There was no point trying to buy them, since in the months of constant back and forth between apartment and air aid cellar, they had become scarce commodities. Now, evidence suggests that there is some kind of preparation, some kind of sense, um, as the war shifts in the direction in the favour of the Allied powers um, in about 1944, that uh, refugees and displaced persons will have to be um, catered for and, and helped. But I don't believe that there's really um, an appreciation of the scale of the problem uh, that would be um, encountered. 
the German economy had run on um, guest uh, guest arbiters, guest workers, um, who obviously weren't uh, guests in the conventional sense. Um, German guest workers were, um, if they were Poles, for example, uh, treated a little better than slave labourers. If they were French or Belgian, um, treated as kind of, um, exceedingly poorly paid workers. And the um, the whole point about kind of German economic imperialism uh, during the war years, and this is what the model for Germany would have been like after the war, had Germany won, was to fuel an, a German economic boom uh, based on... F- um, incredibly cheap or free labour. German living standards were sent to set to skyrocket um, based on uh, German farms and German factories uh, having this, this influx of um, virtually free or in, in many cases completely free uh, labour. The conditions in which they were kept um, were pretty dire. Um, the there was a study done; uh, it must be about a decade ago now, which revealed that there are far more work camps um, for the Gastarbeiter than were were previously thought. When one thinks about the German camps, one thinks about concentration and death camps, but there were these were massively, massively outnumbered by barracks for um, workers from all over Europe who were taken to Germany, some who had no choice than to voluntarily go to Germany because of the poverty um, in their own countries as a result of German occupation. Uh, and the uh, conditions that they're kept in are um, slightly better than those in a concentration camp, but not not much better. Um, there's not really um, in in the, the normal kind of meet, um, process of uh, or no kind of practice of migratory work in in free more freer circumstances is one sends home a remittance, one uh, sends back to one's home country wages um, that, uh, to, to one's family. Um, if obviously this isn't possible in wartime Germany because whatever um, the, the Gastarbeiter are paid, in some cases not paid at all, um, was barely enough to buy the, the the basics to survive on, and as the war gets um, more and more um, out of uh, favour for for Germany, as the war slips out of uh, Germany's um, favour, um, there are shortages, there is hunger, and there is danger and risk from uh, Allied bombing. There are between 8 and 10 million prisoners who have been torn from their homelands and forced into concentration and labour camps within Germany, from which they had now been liberated. Most of them only had the clothes on their backs. Their release did not assure the prisoners a homecoming, even if their homes still existed. Some had the good fortune to be provided with food by Allied soldiers immediately after liberation and returned to their homeland shortly afterwards. Those who were less fortunate were left to wander through the defeated country, whose inhabitants had recently enslaved them, and in many cases murdered their families. 
But most people waited, weak and dispirited, in new camps, or even in old ones, to see what fate had in store for them. A further 12.5 million people drifted through Germany in groups of various sizes. Exiles from the Eastern Territories that were now no longer German, mostly passing through regions that were unfamiliar to them and in which it was made very clear they were not welcome. They had no choice but to find a place to, uh, where they could stay. On the day of Germany's capitulation, responsibility for all these people fell formally to four Allied powers, a total of 40 million people uprooted in one way or another in the four occupied zones. Refugees, abductees, deserters, the homeless, then stranded. It was, uh, it was forced relocation on an unimaginable scale. That's not to say that everyone was actually in motion. Most people stayed right where they were, holding out in camps and only moving on painfully slowly or with significant delays. Some had to be returned home as quickly as possible, while others um, first had to be placed in custodial care. They all needed to be fed, a gigantic logistical effort at a time when even the barest necessities could not be sourced. The number of German prisoners of war needing to be interned temporarily was so great from 19, April 1945 onwards that the Allies saw no other possibility but to fence in about a million of them in the so-called Rheinweichenlager um, fence, uh, uh, the Rhine Meadow camps, forcing them to spend many weeks behind barbed wire beneath the open sky. It was only over the course of June 1945 that most of the 23 camps received latrines, kitchens with roofs and infirmaries. By September 1945, the last of these mass camps was dissolved after most of the inmates had been questioned and released or else distributed among smaller POW camps and former forced labour camps. It, it becomes quite easy to see how a majority of Germany's war criminals managed to evade justice. In those sorts of conditions, um, the high-profile war criminals, obviously there's a, as, as if you might have listened to my interview with Guy Walters um, the other year, um, a majority of uh, the, the more high-profile war criminals uh, managed to escape to places like Uruguay and Bolivia and um, Argentina. However, there were um, the, the vast numbers of um, the, the kind of like the lower and middle tier of, of war criminals, um, uh, Wehrmacht soldiers who had committed atrocities in Poland and Russia, um, who simply are never prosecuted. Um, the chaos of the time means it's virtually impossible to compile evidence against them. Um, there is the need to quickly dissolve these camps to send the men home as much in, in, in whatever way possible unless there is somebody there at the time with the, some kind of compelling case that this is somebody that needs to be uh, arrested and, uh, by military police and, and prosecuted uh, often the soldiers would uh, change their names or find other ingenious ways within the camps to, to hide their identities um, and there is um, the the kind of the the infrastructure for a kind of a, a mass prosecution isn't there, and it's not in many cases even seen as desirable. Um, 
because the Allied powers are aware that Germany will have to start functioning again pretty soon and that managing and occupying Germany for too long and um, uh, enforcing a um, a victor's justice on Germany uh, might well have all sorts of negative consequences. These soldiers, often crammed together in hundreds and thousands, squatted on the ground uh, and exposed to the elements, offered a shocking symbol of the sheer indistinguishable human mass to which the Nazi regime and the war had reduced society. Many living outside the fences didn't fare much better. Anyone who travelled during this time would have seen wandering people on the streets uh, and stations, uh, station platforms uh, and in waiting rooms. The journalist Ursula von Kardorf saw the misery at, at Halley um, railway station in September 1945. Terrible images, rubble, amongst which wander creatures that seem no longer to be of this world. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Homecomers in ragged, wadded uniforms, covered with boils, creeping along makeshift crutches, living corpses. 45% of all dwellings were destroyed. In the cities, millions of people were homeless and moved on temporary, uh, from one temporary habitation to the next. They slept in allotment plots with relatives um, in cramped apartments, in bunkers or outside any park benches that had not been broken up for firewood. Others simply lay down just off the road, often in basement doorways or under bridges, or found shelter in the rubble despite the threat of collapse from ruined buildings. All of these were easy prey for criminals. The police statistics for crimes of theft leapt up by 800% because people saw little point in reporting crimes in real num- uh, the real numbers will likely have been much higher. 
Many people in the big cities adapted to the black market. In Cologne, British soldiers happened upon a group of 60 people who'd formed a criminal gang. They had accessed enough food for several months from the basement of a department store and stored it in the city's labyrinthine catacombs. They did a vigorous underground trade with, with the surplus. In Munich, a number of resourceful people had opened up the staff area in the basement of the ruined Regina Hotel to use as an emergency shelter. All around the former swimming pool, there were changing cabins and white-covered lounges. Running water still came from taps and even the showers worked. The group met up for breakfast in the former ironing room and devoured whatever they had been sca- they had scavenged on trips throughout the city in the previous day. Of course, one great place to uh, acquire surplus supplies from were the occupying armies themselves. Some soldiers would sell excess rations or trade excess rations for um, items they thought were valuable, often memorabilia they wished to take home, or some would be sympathetic. Others could be bribed and simply um, poorly uh, guarded um, uh, stockpiles of uh, food and other items could be uh, could be looted by the desperate and, and, and often were. Obviously, this is a, a lot harder in the Soviet section, um, where the consequences for looting were much, much worse. Others were stuck in less comfortable accommodation. Station waiting rooms were notorious collecting tanks. Sooner or later, even the most affluent travellers were bound to share sleeping spaces on the floor with the people who lived there, because the few trains running were often delayed for days. Everyone was out on the, in the streets all the time, not least in search of news. Without a working postal and telephone service, all communication had to be done on foot. In the anxious chaos of the post-war months, news was a vitally important commodity. If you wanted to find out who was alive and who was still missing, what goods could, could be got hold of and where, you had to go out and look. The situation was far from clear, the supply chains were broken, so it was of vital importance to leave messages about one's whereabouts and let others know one was still alive. Anyone who moved house wrote their new address on the doors of the abandoned ruins. Heinz Seibert is living in Wedding in, uh, at 98 Soldener Street with the Vincer family. People hungry for any, kind, for any kind of tips on information paid visit after visit, swapping tales and experiences. Getting hold of the barest necessities involved long journeys through every part of town. So this was the result of uh, 12 years of Nazism. Um, Hitler, as we know, had planned for a thousand years of Nazism, a thousand year Reich. But it just took 12 to reduce the most advanced, modern, um, dynamic, industrialised state in Europe to anarchy and chaos. Um, and, and in a way, Nazism, well, fascism kind of... Uh, whilst promising order seems only capable of delivering different kinds of chaos um, as it uh, as it's kind of um, focus on endless um, engendered struggle and dynamism uh, and um, 
the battle of the wills and all this kind of uh, well, kind of ludicrous rhetoric really um, tends to, to, to lead to. Um, the, the level of chaos is interesting and, and um, it's, it's kind of captured here uh, when Harold Jana writes Documentary footage from the summer of 1945 in Berlin shows everyone charging about in all directions. Russian and American soldiers, German police, gangs of youths, families dragging belongings through the streets on handcarts, scruffy homeowners, invalids on crutches, smart-suited men, cyclists in collar and tie, women with empty rucksacks, women with full rucksacks, and certainly many more women than men. Some stroll about, others hurry along single-mindedly, clearly seeking to make contact urgently in need of food or a roof over their heads. For some, their normal everyday life seems to have been, ha, have been barely affected. While others wander distractively through the streets, still searching for a place to stay. The social differences are vast. While scattering groups cook scraps of food on little flickering fires on pavements beneath the open sky before squatting on the curb to eat them. Only five weeks after the end of the war, others are sitting in cafes um, on the Kafirsten Dam, um, watching people strolling along the boulevard as they always have done, and I think that um, little little vignette is, is really interesting. In that, whilst you have this terrible squalor and deprivation, there are always those in these circumstances who find the wherewithal to um, relax and enjoy the finer things of life. Germany was very quickly able to mobilise its resources and to restore aspects of everyday life uh, quite quickly. The cafes, the hotels, uh, the bars, the cinemas, these kinds of things. So you wind up with this, this kind of very paradoxical situation that in the, in, in the heart of total anarchy, a country that's divided into four zones, a country that kind of, as a state, doesn't exist anymore for a while, that's occupied by uh, four allied powers. It's people still managing to quickly bring back aspects of the everyday. Um, And this is how human beings are, in a way, Uh, even in the most difficult of times. They find ways in which to uh, restore fragments of normality. And the problem with all of this, particularly with Germany, is because is that even those who were sitting in on the Kafirstendam um, having in, in, enjoying coffee knew about the Holocaust. This open secret as uh, Richard J. Evans put it, was something that uh, everybody knew about and the only people that professed to not know were the ones who didn't wish to know. Uh, but it, with the knowledge of it is so widespread, it's almost uh, unavoidable. And this new society that would spring from the uh, ashes of the war would have to contend with this horrific legacy um, of this national guilt um, and as we look further into Harold Jana's book and uh, this is a particular topic I, I am very curious about German historical memory we'll, we'll explore more ways in which Germany contended with and sometimes failed and sometimes succeeded in uh, coming to terms with 
legacies of Nazism. Anyway, I hope you found this useful and helpful, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye-bye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.